if you see someone who's struggling, listen to them, you know, as just ask them, how are you doing? A simple question. How are you? What can I do to help you? Don't start saying things like the things that were said to me. It's been too long since you lost that baby. When are you going to get pregnant again? Do you even know what I'm going through for you to ask me that question? Welcome to the show. I am your host, Anya Fombat, and I spark the heart conversations that challenge questionable cultural and societal norms that threaten the well-being of the African community. And I also share stories about growing up as Africans in Africa and in the diaspora. I strongly believe that normalizing open discussions and sharing experiences, whether good or bad, will not only make you find your voice, but will broaden your sense of purpose and empower others to do the same. So if you have ever tried challenging certain African cultural and societal doctrines, or if you have ever felt like it is about time that we confronted these issues in our African community and do better as a people, or even if you have always been interested in learning about the experiences of other Africans growing up in Africa and the diaspora, then you are in the right place. Welcome to Living African. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Living African. So today we will be talking about baby loss. And we are here with Kia Tumben, who is the author of the book Surviving Baby Loss While Battling Infertility. So I am super excited to have you here, Kia. And I know we have had a conversation before about this topic and I was so, my mind was so blown just hearing your story and everything that you've gone through. And there was no better person to have on this platform than you. So I really want to thank you so much for coming on here. And I'm super honored that you chose our platform to share your story. So I want to welcome you here. How are you doing today? Doing pretty good, Anya. Thank you so much for having me on this wonderful platform. And uh, before I start, I'd just like to let you know that you are doing an amazing job. I have listened to a couple of your podcasts and learned and grown a lot from it. So I'm hoping that as your audience listens to what we're talking about today, which is basically baby loss, they would also learn and grow from some of the challenges that I've faced. So yeah, I'm doing great. Thank Thank you for asking. Thank you so much. I really appreciate your kind compliments. So today we will be talking, like you mentioned, we will focus on baby loss. So your book actually was two parts, right? You shared your story about baby loss and then you shared your story about your very long battle with infertility, which I would imagine was definitely very, very daunting. So let's focus on this episode on baby loss. And definitely we will come back to talk about the battle with infertility. Now, just can you please tell us your story about surviving the loss of your baby? I know this is going to be a long story. So we will really love to just hear everything that you went through, you know, from, you know, from the start to finish, basically, you know, and of course we will ask follow-up questions if, you know, we need clarification on certain things, if you don't mind, but we really look forward to that. Okay. Feel free to ask any questions if you need any clarifications, because the purpose of me being here 
is to get the message out there. So it's very important to me that the audience understand what it is that we're talking about, baby loss. So um, my story is one that actually surprised me Hmm. because I was pregnant and I had gone past the 12-week mark And that's where everyone, even your doctors and, you know, the people around you that tell you you've got to go past that 12 week mark. And once you do, your pregnancy is pretty much safe. Right. Mm -hmm. So you're not thinking that anything could happen after that with your pregnancy. Mm-hmm. You're happy, you're celebrating, you're announcing it to people, you're preparing for baby to come. And then all of a sudden you find yourself in a situation where your baby has actually left you. And I'm talking about me being pregnant all the way up until eight and a half months. I was two weeks away from having my baby Hmm. when I experienced a placental abruption. Right. And you were healthy right up to that moment, like no pre-existing conditions, no complications. It wasn't even a high-risk pregnancy. Correct. And let me just shed some light on that a little bit, if you don't mind. So I had what was called a placental abruption. Mm -hmm. So basically with that situation, your placenta, which is basically the baby's lifeline, Mm -hmm. detached from my uterus. Mm. And it detached completely all at once. It wasn't something that started and then grew up to the point where it detached completely. It just erupted all at once in one day. Hmm. And that one is called a complete placental abruption because they've got two. It could occur partially and maybe the nurses or the doctors will pick it up. Mm -hmm. And if they pick it up early, it can be treated Mm -hmm. possibly. Mm -hmm. But mine just happened in the last minute. When I got pregnant, I did not even experience a whole morning sickness thing. I had no complications whatsoever. I did not even have some of the causes of placental abruption, which would be, was I smoking? No, I'm not a smoker. Mm -hmm. Do I do drugs? No, I don't. Have I ever done drugs in my life? No, I don't. Mm -hmm. Do I have abnormalities in my uterus? No, I don't. I don't have any of those things. Do I, have I had a previous placental abruption? No, I don't. Mm -hmm. So all of those things that would lead to a situation like that, Mm -hmm. I have not experienced it in my life ever. So it was a complete shock to me and my physicians when they realized that I actually suffered a placental abruption. So in answer to your question, was I healthy? Yes, my pregnancy was perfectly healthy from the very beginning up until when it happened. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Wow, that's interesting. That's very interesting. So what basically happened when they discovered that you had a placenta rupture? So it was weird because on that day, August 4th of 2014, I still remember, of course, I'm never going to forget. I had my regular doctor's visit that morning. Hmm. So I went in, I got an ultrasound. Everything was fine. We listened to the baby's heartbeat. And this was probably around maybe 11 o'clock in the morning mm-hmm. when that was done. Mm-hmm. Everything was perfect. And then I went back home and I was laying on the couch, you know, just resting because 
I'm heavily pregnant, right? Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. I'm just taking a rest. I'm laying on the couch and I'm taking a rest. And then all of a sudden, I feel like a really sharp pain underneath my stomach. Hmm. And then at the same time, I'm kind of hard pressed. So I'm thinking I need to use the bathroom. Mm-hmm. So I literally push myself to go to the bathroom because when I woke up from the couch, I realized that I was a little bit weak. I was sort of weak. Mm-hmm. So I pushed myself, went to the bathroom, sat down, and I just couldn't wake back up. Hmm. I did not have the energy. The pain in my stomach just kept growing. And I did not know what was going on. So I tried to pull myself up and I couldn't. So I screamed for my mom and I was like, you know what? I need help. Come and help me. She got into the bathroom. She helped me. We got out of the bathroom. And I just started feeling pains all over my body. It was like there were needles and knives just, you know, poking me all over. The pain just kept growing and growing. And all I remember was I told my mom, I was like, you know what? You need to call the ambulance, please. Let's go to the hospital. She was trying to drive. And I said, no, call the ambulance. So luckily enough, she called the ambulance and they came like within two minutes. I was so lucky. Hmm. They pulled me, pulled me into the ambulance and straight to the hospital. I knew that it was so severe because when we got to the hospital, I saw the difference between an emergency and an emergency Hmm. because that vehicle, that vehicle drove straight to a, to a back door that opens into a different side of an emergency room. So when we go there, we see the front beat of it. We don't know that there is another door that actually deals with emergencies, you know? So that's when I knew that something was, something wasn't right. Like, Yeah, I knew something was severe. And while we were riding, they kept asking me, when was the last time you felt your baby move? I couldn't answer that question. You know, who's your doctor? I gave them my doctor's information. They called her. She was on the phone. She was like, no, I saw her this morning. She was perfectly fine. Anyway, the long and short is it was so severe that they did not, they couldn't afford to have me go through the regular line when you get to an emergency room. Everything had to be rushed. Hmm. So I'm laying there on that bed, the same bed that I came out of from the uh, ambulance. Mm-hmm. They're treating me on there because they don't have time to move me from that bed to a hospital bed. Mm-hmm. The time, this is just to tell you how severe it was. Mm-hmm. And this is something that happened abruptly. It's not something that I have been struggling with for days. It Mm -hmm. literally just happened within hours. And that was how I lost the baby. Wow. So, yeah. So, like, when you were in the emergency room, right? Like, what Mm -hmm. procedure did they have to do? And how did they come to the conclusion that you lost the baby? That's a very, very good question. And if I'm being completely honest with you, that information started being communicated when we were riding to the hospital. Mm -hmm. But because when I felt that pain, my mom and I, we believed that the baby was coming. Mm. Because when I had the visit that morning, 
My doctor told me that I was two centimeters dilated, yeah. which was a good thing. Yeah. So, I mean, you're two weeks away from having your baby. Baby can come, come at any time. Right? Yeah. So, yes. So all of the questions that the paramedics were asking us in the ambulance as we were riding was because they couldn't feel, they couldn't hear the heartbeat. There were a lot of red flags to them. My stomach was hard as a rock. It was dis- it was distended. You know, it looked. It, if you saw me, you would know that something was going on. Mm. And all of that changed in like an hour. So when we got to the hospital, obviously the paramedics are giving the report to the doctors that were already on site and waiting for me. There were about, there were over 10 of them. Let me just put it this way. The room was mm-hmm. full. They were waiting because the paramedics had communicated the situation that they were seeing to the doctors that were on site. And they had also rallied other medical professionals to be there because they told them this was serious. This was severe. Mm-hmm. So when we got there, I just remember them doing like an ultrasound and, you know, asking a whole bunch of questions all surrounded around when was the last time you felt your baby? When was the last time, you know, you felt your baby kick? It was all about that. So they did that. And then they openly told us that the baby had been compromised. But that part of it, I missed it somehow. Mm-hmm. I did not understand what, what they said. Because obviously my mind is towards having a baby. Having a baby, And not yeah. towards losing a baby. So that was when they told me. And then they said, but guess what? At this point right now, we're also at the point of losing you. So we have to fight to save you. So there's going to be a lot of people working on you right now, basically, because we're trying to save you. So the fact about losing the baby, they didn't pay too much attention to it in that moment because the baby was already gone. Mm-hmm. And I was at the point of going. I just remember them opening my mouth and telling me how pale I was mm-hmm. and all this fright and panic on their faces. They were like, she's getting ill. We need to hurry up. I don't think I understood what those words meant. You know, I, I didn't. And then for the first time I threw up mm. for the first time during that entire pregnancy, mm. I threw up and then my blood pressure rose. I think it left from like 130 something to maybe 180 something. Mm. I don't remember the numbers very well, but it got to a point where they really couldn't administer the uh, anesthesia that they needed to put in because they had to do an emergency C-section to take out the baby and also to save my life. Because Mm -hmm. like I said, I was at the point of going. Yeah. So they did all of that. Finally got to a point where it was convenient enough for them to administer the anesthesia they did that, they did the surgery, and I just woke up in the recovery room. And when I woke up in the recovery room, that was when I found out that I had lost the baby. Wow. You know, uh, I can imagine you waking up and like literally asking for your baby because you're like, my belly is flat. I'm not pregnant anymore. Where's my baby? I was looking forward to my baby. Like I can, I cannot even comprehend how much pain you, you felt at that moment after anticipating for almost nine months. Yeah. 
one of those things that your body doesn't know how to, that your body doesn't know how to accept. You don't know how to feel. You're laying there, like you rightly said, you realize that your belly is flat. It is gone. That whole big belly that you are carrying around, you know that it's gone. You feel some kind of pain. You look up and you see all of these equipment connected to you. But there's still some joy because you're waiting for a stroller to come in. You know those little cute strollers that they pull in the hospital? Mm-hmm. You're waiting for them to come in with your baby in it. You still haven't understood that the baby is gone. So I turn around and I'm smiling, you know, and looking forward to seeing the baby. And my mom is just sitting there with like a straight face. You know, she has this coldness on her face. And I'm like, what's going on? Why do you look like that? And she starts getting teary. And she's asking me, did you not hear? And then she starts walking towards me. And I'm just like, oh, Lord. So for the first time, that was when I understood. I had heard they mentioned it, but it didn't sink. It didn't, the words didn't make sense to me. So that was when I was like, oh, my gosh. So they were actually telling me that my baby had been compromised. I think I actually lost it from that point on. Yeah. I remember not wanting to talk to the nurses. I remember going off on them for no good reason. I remember not even wanting to see the baby because I'm like, I need you to bring me this baby alive, okay? Like, if you want me to be good to you right now, just bring my baby alive to me. Don't, excuse me, don't tell me any story about placental abruption, whatever that means. I don't know what you're talking about. I, what I need right now is for you to bring my baby to me. So that was very, very hard. Yeah. I don't know how I can perfectly articulate that, but that was an awful situation. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I know we've spoken about this, but every time you tell me, it's just like, I'm hearing it for the first time, you know, I'm so sorry about that. So did they get to explain to you like everything surrounding or concerning placental abruption? Like, did they get to talk to you about how often it happens with women and, you know, all of that stuff, like the prevalence amongst women? Sure, they did. And uh, for me, I was completely brand new to it. So hence the reason I really want to talk about this. I want women to know. I want men to know because they can also support your spouses when things like this happen. Uh, Number one, I learned that the fact that you've gone past that 12 mark doesn't mean that your pregnancy will be successful. Yeah, that's the 12-week mark, right? Yes, there is something called a placental abruption. It could happen to anybody, whether you have a pre-existing condition or whether you do not have a pre-existing condition and whether you've done the things that could probably increase the chances of you having a placental abruption or not. Everyone can have it. The percentage of people, pregnancy, people that are pregnant, 
that will have something like this. I think it's 1% of pregnant women. Mm -hmm. Yeah, 1% of pregnant women, the doctor said, are susceptible to having a placental abruption. And it's very common when you're in your third trimester, but it could also happen when you're at 20 weeks of pregnancy. So anytime from 20 weeks onwards, it could happen. So you need to be very careful. You need to be watchful. You need to listen to yourself. If there's anything that feels uncomfortable around your abdomen, whether your doctor's visit is due or not, you might want to call your doctor and just have them check to make sure nothing is happening around your uterus or with your placenta that could compromise your pregnancy and possibly your baby. So yeah, about 1% of pregnant women experience something like that. Right. Well, thank you for sharing that. So let's continue from when you discovered that you lost the baby for real. And, you know, I want to really understand and know how was the healing process right after that? What were the series of events that happened after that? And how did those events impact you? So there were a lot of things that happened and I struggled a lot because number one, my health was equally at risk. So I have this major thing that has just happened to me. I have lost my baby to a placental abruption unexpectedly at eight and a half weeks of pregnancy. And then I'm dealing with losing all of my blood and basically being strapped to the hospital bed in the ICU. The doctor's working on me, trying to get me to a point where I will be able to make my own blood. Mm -hmm. And that is taking forever to happen. So I'm fearful of the fact that I might die. And I'm also hurting from the fact that I just lost my baby. So I'm really, I'm really struggling. I don't know how to feel. I don't know what to do. So I'm, sometimes I'm crying a lot. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I'm not because I'm sitting there trying to process what is this thing that just happened to me? And who am I going to become from this point going forward? Am I even going to be able to get to the point where I will be able to start making my own blood? And uh, the whole reason about blood, I know you hear me talking a lot about making my own blood, making my own blood. Mm -hmm. So when they um, cut me open, Mm -hmm. they realized that I had, it's getting me emotional, but um, I had a huge clot in my stomach. It was three times larger than the size of my placenta. Hmm. And uh, when the eruption happened, all of that bleeding was internal. Hmm. Nothing came out of me. Not a single drop. Like the panty liner that I was wearing, I still have it till today. I know it's insane. It's how many years later I still have it to today. It's spotless, no blood, not a single drop came out of me. So all of that blood, all of that bleeding, mm-hmm. it accumulated inside my stomach. Hmm. 
Hmm. And that's the reason why my stomach was distended, like I mentioned before. It was as hard as a rock, all because of that blood that had accumulated in my belly. So they had to do a lot of blood transfusion just to get me going. But that was only going to last for so long because Mm -hmm. the goal was to get me to a point where my own body could start making its own blood. Yeah. Well, basically you lost so much blood that you needed to supplement with the transfusion. And, and also when you said stomach for the healthcare providers who were very needy picky, it's synonymous to belly in this case. And, um, so basically I'm sure your hemoglobin level, you're anemic basically because you didn't have enough blood and you needed that transfusion to help sustain your blood levels so that it could, you know, provide your heart could, I mean, blood could be supplied to your other organs for them to function, um, efficiently. So, uh, so while you were trying to also make your own blood under, after the event, like how long did you stay in the hospital for? And then when did you get home? What happened to, um, Basically, what happened? Like, what happened to the baby afterwards? Like, in terms of what, um, what things did you have to do? What were the what was the protocol? What were the steps that you had to take? So I was in a hospital for a total of nine days, hmm. just really long, and it was all because of the blood. I yeah. had to get to that point before they had to be stable. Yeah, you had to be stable. Yeah, every, yeah I, I had to get to that point. So it took nine days for me to get there. And during that period, during that nine day period of me laying in a hospital, of course, something has to be done to the baby, right? Mm-hmm. The baby's not going to stay there forever. Mm-hmm. Um, I have to make arrangements for uh, the funeral Mm -hmm. for the baby, basically. And I have all these wonderful professionals that have been lined up for me. They're coming in and out of my room, you know, explaining the process to me and trying to help me and guide me just so I could get to that point of doing the funeral. But it was just all too hard for me. I just couldn't get there. My mind just couldn't process what had happened. So um, I just told them, I'm not going to do this now. I don't feel up to it yet. I still haven't comprehended the fact that this actually happened to me. So I'm really not in the mood to be discussing funerals now because who am I preparing a funeral for? Yeah. No. It was just all too hard for me. And uh, I, I, I want to share something. Maybe people who've gone through this know, but it was something that stood out to me and really delayed, contributed in delaying the whole process of me having to do a funeral for my baby. Mm-hmm. They had options for me. Mm-hmm. 
and they told me that one of the options that I have with me being so broken and not being able to just, you know, accept what has happened to me, the hospital could help me. Uh, I could choose to come to the funeral and I could choose not to, mm-hmm. but they have a thing in the hospital where they help parents like myself who are so engulfed in your grief and finding it difficult to accept that they need to do a funeral. The hospital provides a funeral that they do for the babies. Mm-hmm. I thought about it and I said, you know what, this might be good, but I told them I will be there. They can go ahead and do everything and I will be there for the funeral. So that had been done, but I didn't know what the details were. And in the very last minute, when I had to sign the papers for that to be done, I realized that all of these babies, and I I, I don't mean this in a bad way. I know that some people may have accepted to go through this. I just want to clear it before I say what I'm about to say. Mm -hmm. Um, I realized that all of these babies will be put in one casket Mm -hmm. and then one funeral will be done for them. Mm. If I did not read the fine prints of those documents, I would have signed it. And that's not something that I think I would have been able to leave with because I just chose to do my own funeral differently. Mm -hmm. I don't want my baby in a casket with other babies. Mm. I don't know what your rationale for that is, but me as a person, that's not what I would do. And if Anyone who's listening has done this. This is not to insult you. It's just a personal thing for me. Yeah, personal preference. Yeah, it's a personal preference. Thank you. It hurt me when I realized that that's what they wanted to do. So I stopped everything and I told them, I don't want you to do this. I will do this my own way when I am ready. And I know you asked how long it took. In answer to your question, it took me two months Hmm. to do the funeral. Two months. And just clarifying with the community, this was in the United States of America, right? Yeah. Yes. It okay. Was okay. Yeah, because I know we Maryland, we haven't. Okay, in Baltimore, Maryland, because I know we haven't. We did not get to really identify exactly where you were at that point in your life. So I just want to make sure. And also you are African as well. Just letting people know and Cameroonian, Cameroonian as well origin, right? So all of this happened and it took two months. I mean, I don't even know how you got the strength to, to prepare for that funeral while still trying to heal from everything. Can you enlighten us about how that process worked? And how it was for you and also just the healing process, like within those two months, what happened? Undoubtedly, I will tell you, those two months were the hardest for me. I'm trying to heal not only physically, but also emotionally. And then I also somehow realized that society has this invisible narrow frame of how you should act, how you should behave. And, Mm. you know, they have a timeline on when things should be done. 
when you go through a situation like that, which is really sad because I had people asking me, um, when are you going to do that funeral? You know, and then I had some people that when they found out that a funeral hadn't been done yet, they would say things like, what, what are you waiting for? Mm. And then some people said things like, what do you mean? Like, what do you mean you have to do a funeral? Wasn't that just a, a, a baby? Like you lost the baby when you were pregnant, right? Like they're trying to understand like this, you didn't even bring this baby home. Like mm. where is a funeral coming in the picture? And this really, the comments and some of the things that people said made me mad, incredibly mad and sad. But in hindsight, I think it's ignorance, you know. Yeah, a lot um, of people didn't they know. Probably, they probably would have been more empathetic yes. if they knew, if they were informed of these things. So, and it's really one of the reasons that is pushing me to share this to story. Share. So people are informed. Yes. And, and not say insensitive things to people who are hurting right. without knowing. Right. It's different if you're fully informed, you're aware right about the situation and you still decide to just hurt people with your words. Yeah. And either way, honestly, whether members of our community know or they don't know, it's always very important to show empathy regardless. You know, it's always very important to to be nice when talking because we have, I always look for every opportunity to call this out because it's still something that's very rampant. It's a rampant way of, of communicating in our community. We tend to be very insensitive when making statements and just, even if we're joking, you know, we talk very loosely. That's how I call it. We talk very loosely. We don't really watch our words and how they can impact the people around us. And we expect people to understand because we're either joking or we don't mean it. But then again, these words, they pierce the soul, you know, so we have to be very, very careful and show a lot of empathy when communicating or asking questions that we don't understand, regardless of whether we know or we don't know. Because I would even imagine if whoever was asking you those questions just showed more empathy, you probably would not have felt offended than compared to how they actually asked you, you know? So that's just something that I want to call out and point out for members of our community to be very, very mindful of the way they have conversations, especially with people who actually are impacted by these topics or conversation. So when you were planning the baby's funeral per se, and all those people were asking the questions. Now, how personally, when you got home and you didn't have to put an aunt, to ask you these questions. I mean, we're going to get back to that on how the community actually handled your situation or gave you support or looked at your situation, you know, at that time. But when you got back home, how did you, what did you do to, to deal with everything that was going on? How did that impact you? And when you were in solitude of, when you were in the solitude of your home, how did you respond to the series of um, events when you were in the solitude of your home, you know, because that's extremely very important. And that's why I ask, it's very important to really understand your headspace at that time and how you managed everything. Cause that was 
most likely one of the lowest points in your life. And the purpose of me asking is just to give other people hope who may be in the same situation and know that there's always a way out to handle things like this. Okay, so I'm going to take that question on two fronts, if you don't mind. On one side, I had a lot of love. You know, I'm not even going to lie. When I got home, I had people put things in their life on hold for me. I had people flying in from all over the country just to come give me a hug. No, I had people calling, people who couldn't make it. I had them calling and checking on me. I had people sending flowers to me. I had a lot of good going on. You know, people, they sympathized with me. But on the other hand, I had some people that really said some awful things to me. For example, I had a good friend, and I don't know if she knew the impact of her words, but she said to me, are you sure you just lost the baby? Hmm. You're not crying. And this is me being strong. This is me putting up my strong front for her because she's come to visit me and I'm trying to be strong. So I sit up and, you know, I'm like, welcome. And she's like looking at me like, are you sure you just lost a baby? I love my kids so much. If anything were to happen to my kids right now, trust me, I would be on the floor. I would be going crazy. So and basically I'm you're not crying enough to show that you I'm lost a baby. Enough. And trying to be strong just to have a conversation with her because she's gone out of her way to come visit. I'm trying to be strong. I don't want to sit there and be melancholy and crying. And, you know, because prior to that, I've had people telling me, you need to stop crying. Why are you crying every day? So now I'm confused. I'm like, okay, this person thinks I'm crying too much. I need to stop crying. I need to try to you know, lift myself up. I need to be more cheerful. And then I'm trying to do that. And then another person is hitting me from the other side, slapping me in the face and telling me I'm not crying enough. And then telling me how incredible her kids are and how much she loves them. I know your kids are incredible. You love them to death, but I don't want to hear about it. Yeah. You just this lost the baby. The, right time. yeah. the timing is not, the timing is not good. Don't tell me now. I love your kids too. I know them. Don't tell me now. So, yeah, I, I had that to deal with. And it was more about me trying to please society. I wasn't focusing on myself. On yourself, yeah. I was trying to, I was trying to do what they expected me to do, what they designed for me to do, that narrow frame that I had to walk through. That's what I was trying to do. It took me a while for me to sit down and just reassess and ask myself, how is Kia feeling? You know, how are you? What can you do to get better? How can you, how can you literally remove yourself from this situation? You know, it took me a while to get there. Yeah. It messed with my psych. Um, I remember at one point I closed up. I didn't want to talk to nobody, be family, be friends. Because whenever I talked to somebody, there was something that said that made me mad. And maybe it was my mindset at the time because everything to me, my mindset at the time wasn't really 
positive, let me just say so. Because I was angry, right? I just lost my baby that I wanted so bad. I wasn't angry. I wasn't happy. I wasn't the most pleasant person to be around. But still, you you want a little bit of love. You want people yeah. to understand what you're going through, be there for you, support you. But again, all of that just helped me grow during that period because when I look back, I realized that I started focusing more on those people I mentioned before that were there for me. Mm-hmm. The people that were speaking positivity to me, that were using words of love, affirmation, care, encouragement. Those are the people that I decided to focus on. And those ones that would come with all of that negativity, I kind of just shut the door to them. I was yeah. like, no, not today. I'm not dealing with this today. Yeah. So that helped me a lot. That was something that really helped me during that healing process because I decided to surround myself with people that truly cared and people who showed me that care. It helped a lot with my sanity. And uh, I'm really proud of myself that I was able to decipher between the people that just showered me with the words that I needed to hear in that moment from the people that were saying things that I did not want to hear. Right, right, right. I I think that's the best way to to handle things like that. And I'm very glad that you were able to, you know, compartmentalize and discern those things that were, you know, coming your way, like people who are bringing you stress, you just, you know, shut them out and stuff like that. You were able to see that and discern that, you know, and protect your peace because that was very very important you know it's just one of those things that you have to end up doing because at the end of the day when you do you're still damned and when you don't you're damned by the community you know because you were crying and people told you oh you're crying too much it's just a baby and then you stop crying people are like are you sure you you know you know, all, all those things, you know, so it's 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 pretty daunting. And I on behalf of the African community and those who offended you, I apologize on their behalf <laughs> because it's you don't have to. It's OK. I just hope they learn. Yeah. They yeah. Use kind words towards people like don't see someone. I'm going to cite examples because this is just all too important to not talk about. I think you're listening to this because you want to learn and because you want to grow. So I hope you take this with, you know, with a lot of love. I'm saying this with love. Yeah. If you see someone who's struggling, listen to them, you know, just ask them, how are you doing? A simple question. How are you? What can I do to help you? Don't start saying things like the things that were said to me. It's been too long since you lost that baby. When are you going to get pregnant again? Do you even know what I'm going through for you to ask me that question? Yes. You're not even in the position to be asking me that question or anybody. So try to be very careful with the words and the kind of questions that you ask me. If you see someone who's just lost their baby and they've come out and they're looking good, be happy for them. Give them a hug. Tell them, oh my gosh, I'm so happy to see you looking good. Don't ask them. Are you sure you just lost a baby? You look so good. Like, that is not even a compliment. It is an yeah. insult. Yeah. Don't say things like that. That's very true. That's very true. Yeah. Thinking it's a compliment, but no, don't. Don't say it. Yeah. And then that whole thing, the one that hurt me the most was when someone said, God needed another flower in his garden. And I'm like, huh? really? And that flower was my baby? I know you're being nice. You're trying to be nice, but 
listen to the things that you're saying and try to understand them before you say it to another. Yeah. We hurt people with our words unknowingly. Yeah, that's very true. Wow. Sorry about that. And so now I, I never also miss to talk about the aspect of mental health and how this affected you because you just lost a baby that you were very, you had high expectations. You were anticipating the arrival of this baby. Probably already had the baby's room set. Everything around the house reminded you of the baby. Even your own body, I would imagine, if they had to do a C-section. It probably reminded you every time you stood in front of the mirror. I just had a baby four months ago. I can tell you for sure, I'm extremely body conscious. And I can tell you, and I can openly say, after I had this baby, I mean, I was extremely insecure about my body. You know, I mean... All the loose skin and the little stretch marks here and there. And I mean, the hormonal shift, you know, that's like a drastic hormonal shift. You were like a ball of hormones while with the baby. And then all of a sudden it drastically drops and it affects you. It affects the mental health as well. Right. So how did all of this affect you mentally and what was your experience with that? Like, how did you do to get yourself together every time that happened? Oh, man. I don't know how to approach that. Let me think a little bit. Okay. So somehow I'm going to say, I'm just going to say God gave me the bandwidth to be able to go through the things that messed with my psyche during that moment. And you kind of hit some of them. Because number one, you have no baby. You have stitches on your stomach from a C-section, okay? You don't have the baby. You're hurting from that C-section. Every single minute you look down, you're going to see it. There's a lot of pain in you. You go to the bathroom, it hurts. You laugh, it hurts. You cry, it hurts. How can you be normal? How can you think clearly? How can you act like a normal person when those things are happening? You have to be a superhuman being. Yeah. For you, for you have to be a superhuman being for you to go through that and don't hurt and still have your mental in check. Yeah. I, yes, those things affected me. That's just one of them. The C section scar affected me a lot because I was hurting and I was seeing those stitches. I had staples. I had staples on my stomach and I had to go back to get them moved a couple of days later. But I had them, seeing them every day. And I look around, I see no baby. So it hurts me even more. And then I get even more angry because I'm like, I have this long scar here, this, you know, this cut on my stomach but there's no baby. Then I start crying. And then another one was my boobs. So after you go through the process of having that baby, you've told your brain to start producing milk, Milk. right? Yeah. So my boobs, they're filling in. They're getting harder and bigger every day. And I'm like, oh Lord, there's no baby to feed. So, okay. Then I go into crying again. And then it messes again with my psyche. So... Instead of me feeding my baby, I'm looking for some stupid cabbage leaves to put on my breast so I can suppress the breast milk. Mm. You know, I have to take a shower, which I need so bad. 
that I can't let that shower really run on my breast because it stimulates the breast and it communicates to my brain. It sends messages to my brain to start producing breast milk to feed a baby that I don't have. So no, I knew I could not be normal. I can, my, my psych is being messed with. I cannot be normal. You don't expect me to be normal. Like if anything, if you have to like, just give me a pass to do whatever I want to do, that's the time for you to give me a pass. Give me a pass to be stupid. Give me a pass to cry. Give me a pass to do whatever I want to do because heck yeah, my psych is not right. I'm not doing good out there. Whether I tell you or not, I'm not. And then there are other things around you to remind you. That beautiful crib that you set up, those cute clothes that you bought, that your sisters sang, your brothers, your uncles, your aunties, all those cute things, they're there. How are you going to pack them away? Those cute little tiny diapers, what are you going to do with that? That little cute bag that you had packed to take to the hospital, what are you going to do with it? You're just going to sit there and start smiling and throwing a party? No. I'm messed up because I'm seeing all of these things. I'm totally messed up. Yeah. And then when I try to step out, first thing I see is a baby. Yeah. Cute. And a stroller pushing them around. That's another reminder right there. Yeah. And there's just a lot. So it's hard for you to function. It is hard. You literally have to try to change your mindset. You have to be strong to get to a point where you're like, you know what? This is never going to go away. I'm yeah. going to see babies everywhere I go. Yeah. My friends are going to get pregnant. My friends are going to be having babies. And strangely enough, during that period, it's like my friends and I were like, I knew at least six, seven people that were pregnant or having babies around that period. Yeah. What do I do? Be hollow and happy for them? I have to be happy for them. I have to try to be happy for them. The fact that this has happened to me doesn't cancel my friend's joy. Yes. It doesn't erase it. I have to be there for them. But is it easy? It is not easy. Yeah. It's yeah. not. That's People true. are having baby showers and preparing for a funeral. I remember the day that I had the funeral for my baby. <laughs> my friend's baby came that day. Mm. I'm at the grave and she's having a baby. How can you be normal? I got yeah. home and I prayed to God. I said, God, help me. And you know, by the next day, I got a message. I think it was God speaking to me. I'm talking about like a message in my head, not someone texting me. I got a message that said, you know what? This is a sign that God takes and he gives. Yeah. Okay. Your friend's baby, you and your friend are so close. Your friend's baby is your baby. So mm. be happy for your friend. You know? And I, as hard as it is, I have to be happy for my friend. I have to. I have to be yeah. there for my friend. That's what friends are for. So I can talk about my side being messed with for hours and hours on ending, but I don't yeah. want to do that. But yeah. yes, that was very hard. My mental health was, it, it, it was horrible. Yeah. And I, you know, I, I remember when we last spoke and you had mentioned something that I didn't even think about. And that made me even more like that made me sad as well, because you were like, you have all these people in your life who have been seeing you pregnant, not necessarily close people, more of 
you know, you go to the bank pregnant, you go to do your hair pregnant. Yes. And when you're not pregnant yes. and you go to the bank, the bank teller is like, hey, congratulations. So how's the baby doing? Or the hairstylist. And then you, you have to keep explaining to them that there's no baby, you know. So just the fact that you have to keep relieving that, you know, relieving that whole event every single time through the explanation like hey the baby's not here the baby's not here just that it's kind of annoying and as well really painful it's like you're basically leaving it over and over and over again i never even thought about it that way like it must have been really traumatizing so what were the specific things that did in addition to just blocking out all the negative energy what were the other things that you did if at all to you know keep yourself grounded mentally yeah, that was pretty intense. I'm going to get to your question. That was pretty intense. Intense in the fact that when I decided I was going to start stepping out, I thought that I had dealt with all of those things that were happening and that my mental health was beginning to get better. So mm-hmm. I'm all ready to handle some of these things now. So if I go out there and someone talks about the baby or anything like that, I, I think I, I felt like I had the bandwidth to be able to support that. But no, I didn't. Because like you said, you have hairdressers, you have to go to the nail salon, you have to go get your eyebrows done, you have to go to the bank, you, you, know, you have to meet all of these people that don't necessarily know you well, mm-hmm. but they know you've been pregnant. So when they see you, they're going to be all smiles, you know, house baby and stuff. And the sadness just resurfaces from there. Mm -hmm. So I started withdrawing myself again. Mm -hmm. I didn't feel like I didn't feel like going out was the best thing for me to do at that point, because I felt like I wasn't quite ready to deal with the, uh, you know, answer those questions and all the pressure that came with it and all the sadness that came with it. Mm -hmm. So I kind of withdrew and then I started uh, exercising a lot. Mm -hmm. The most thing I would do is probably like, you know, go for walks or listen to like motivational speeches, you know, um, watching things that would help me, um, reading up about people who've been through struggles and how they survived, you know, just trying to figure out what I could do to get better. Mm-hmm. So that, that helped me a lot. I used to go on like a six, seven, eight mile walk, you know, just to kind of just re-energize myself, clear my mind, you know, just go into solitude and just, you know, be there and just feel what it means to have peace, quote unquote, because I really didn't have peace, but just to kind of, you know, practice some peace and just air my mind. And those were, they were really helpful and training myself to be very positive because when a situation like that happens to you, you tend to be negative, whether you realize it or not. So you sort of have to train yourself to become positive again, to be the person that you are. So I had my own moments with that, trying to train myself to be very positive and also to just adopt a really good attitude towards people, regardless of what they said. Like choose to, you know, focus on the good and not the bad. Because I realized that where energy, where where focus goes, energy flows. Right. So I decided to focus on some of the things that I have that maybe other people don't necessarily have, you know, just be in gratitude of what I have, you know, not necessarily baby, but what else do I have that I can be grateful for, 
you know, right. I love God. I, you know, I pray a lot and that's actually a safe place for me. Yeah. So I started going more towards that direction and just tilting all of my focus towards that direction. And that's where my energy was flowing mm-hmm. instead of me having that energy flow towards a situation that I was leaving. It was drawing a lot out of me. So I decided to see what I could draw from it. You yeah. know, I said, this situation is already drawing a lot out of me. There got to be something in it for me. I yes. can't leave this empty. Yes. So I started focusing on what I could draw from the situation as opposed to the situation continuing to feed off of me. Yeah. Because if it continues to feed off of me, I'm going to become a skeleton and I don't want to become a skeleton. So I started trying to figure out how am I going to grow from this situation? What can I draw from this situation? Yeah. That's a good mindset to have. I feel like if we all looked at situations like that, especially the tough and bad situations in our lives, if we always took the time to ask ourselves what we can draw from that situation, it's going to give us different perspective and insight to, you know, our approach moving forward. So that's definitely a good way to look at things. And thank you so much for sharing that. And I just wanted to briefly talk about your book because you elaborated even more um, of this event in your book, correct? So can you just give us like, you know, a summary of like, you know, what people can expect to get from that book and at least with respect to baby loss for a start and also why you chose to write the book. Okay, so in the book, you would get nothing but authenticity. I'm literally just pouring out everything that I experienced, how it affected me, what I learned from it, And what I hope that you can learn from my situation as well. So that's basically what baby loss is about. Um, Yes, I've talked about the situation, how it happened and everything. But the whole detail you can only get from reading the book. And uh, there are a lot of lessons learned that I detailed in there. But... I always say sharing is caring. So Mm. even for those that may not be able to lay hands on a copy of the book, there is one lesson that I would love to share. So number one lesson for me was realizing that it took two of us to make this baby. Mm -hmm. And for some reason, it became about me, right? I was the one that carried the pregnancy I was the one that went through the trauma. Mm -hmm. I was the one that got operated upon, you know, all of those things. But again, that baby had a father, right? Yeah. And he equally hurt. Yeah, that's true. The lesson I learned from that is that the fathers of these babies, they hurt regardless of whether they carry the pregnancy or not, not, regardless of whether they went through a C-section or not, mm-hmm. they hurt. We need to be there for them as your spouses or partners, brothers, sisters. We need to be there for them. Mm-hmm. We need to check on them. Don't only send flowers to your sister. Yeah. Send flowers to your brother-in-law as well. Yeah. Don't, you know, check on him. Don't, and you, the wife, 
like what I did. I was sitting there expecting and expecting and even getting mad at him for not doing things that I expected him to do. Mm -hmm. Forgetting to understand that we had lost a baby, not me. We had lost a baby. So he was doing, my husband was doing everything that he could. He was there for me, supporting me, suppressing his feelings to make sure that I was okay. But I wasn't seeing that. I wasn't even thinking that he was hurting. So the one lesson This is the one lesson I really want to share. Be there for your spouses. Remember that dads hurt too, you know, Mm -hmm. run errands for them. You know, don't just sit there and be expecting. Do things for them too. Help them. So, and there's a lot more to learn, but I just feel obliged to share this one because that was something that he hoped for me. Yeah. Yeah, that's very true. And also for women who actually have the babies and, you know, the postpartum experience, we tend to neglect the feelings of men when it has to do with yes. the postpartum because the present fathers, yeah. and I would say the present fathers of these babies are super, super present and helpful yes. during the postpartum period. And also they give a lot of, you know, help and they sacrifice a lot as well. You know, they sacrifice even their own emotions and their mental well-being for that of the mother. You know, they themselves even ignore their own experiences or feelings because they are trying to, you know, just put the spotlight and focus on what the woman is going through, you know, but I feel like as a community, we should also tend to attend to the men because the men as well are going through a lot, whether the baby is here or not. The men also feel that impact, you know, because they're also the closest ones to you. And they, it's also their child. It's it's a man's child as well. Absolutely. So, yeah, that's yeah. that's definitely a good thing that you said. Actually, you that was one of, going to be one of the next questions I asked. So you already answered that, you know, just to enlighten our community on, you know, the things that we should be more sensitive about, especially when it has to do with a woman who just lost a baby. So I really, really appreciate the way you elaborated it in this case. So, now, after you had the baby and everything, uh, I know we're going to talk about that in the next episode. But now trying to conceive again after a while, you guys ran into infertility. And that's where your next battle began, right? So what can we expect from that story moving forward? So... Expect to hear a lot about the fight to regain, secure, preserve your facility. And this is coming from the perspective of a man and also a woman. Mm. So there's a lot of juicy stuff in there. Right. On that, uh, yeah, and the struggle with uh, infertility. Mm -hmm. There's a lot. You're going to learn about my unique journey. Yeah. And you're going to find out whether it worked mm-hmm. or whether it didn't work for me. Okay. And you're also going to find out how I survived during that period because it can be incredibly daunting mm-hmm. for you to be going through something like that and you still have all the pressures of life to deal with. Yeah. So you're going to have to learn about, you know, everything in between how I continue to do life while going through the process of uh, infertility. Right, right. Well, thank you so much for that. I know, you know, at the start of our conversation, I see you wearing a red dress and I was like, I love your dress and everything. And, you know, you told me a story behind it. So why are you wearing red? 
Yes. So for anyone who's in the book, every now and then I post it on social media. Yeah. If you look at the title of the book and also the cover picture, you would realize that there is a woman standing and she's wearing a red dress mm-hmm. and she's facing all of these women showing off their beautiful bumps, you know, and she's just standing there. That woman in that red dress is the main character in the book that represents me. Mm-hmm. So the red dress represents all of those struggles. You know, red is a bold color. It's mm-hmm. hard to not notice red. Mm-hmm. So I chose red because when you're wearing red, everybody sees you. Mm. When you when you're struggling with infertility, it shows on your face somehow. Mm-hmm. It doesn't say infertility, but it shows that there's some struggles. People can spot it mm-hmm. that there's something going on with you. Mm-hmm. You know, no matter how hard you try to mask it, mm-hmm. people can tell. Uh, when you're pregnant, like I was, people can see. You don't need to tell anybody that you're pregnant. So the red dress for me represents a strong woman who goes through all of these things, whether she's sin or not sin. It represents a strong woman to me. Yeah. And that's the reason I'm wearing this red dress today. Yes. Because I am that woman who's lost the baby. I am the woman who's been through infertility. I survived it. I'm still here. I'm still proudly wearing my red dress because I want you to see me. Yes, yes. Thank you so much for explaining that. And, you know, coincidentally, the sweater that I'm wearing has women on it, like all over it in French, fam, fam, yes. fam, fam, all over it. So, yeah, I, I, I really applaud you. You are such a strong woman. I cannot wait to, to you know, to speak with you again shortly and get the next you know, part of your story, because I feel like your story is worth hearing. Now, how can the listeners reach out to you for those who have questions, those who want to purchase your book, those who just want to, you know, send you well wishes and best wishes? So the best way to reach me as a person would be through Facebook or through Instagram. Mm-hmm. And my name on Facebook is just K-I-A, K-I-A. You can send me a message if you have any questions. Yeah, and so K-I-A, um, two K-I-A's with a space in between, not one yes. word, yeah. Yes, not one word, yes. Mm-hmm. And then on Instagram, it is class and a smile, just the word class and a smile. And it's all one word, so you can reach me on Instagram. And then uh, Surviving Baby Loss While Battling Infertility equally has its own website. And it's simply Surviving Baby Loss While Battling Infertility. Mm-hmm. You can also reach me through that platform. You could purchase your books on there. And you could also purchase the books on, um, what's it called again? Amazon? Amazon, yeah. Yes. And if you're in the U.S., basically in any bookstore, you can grab a copy from there. But I do encourage you to purchase it from um, my website, Surviving Baby Loss While Battling Infertility, mm-hmm. and also from the publisher's website, which is West WestBowWestBow.press. Mm-hmm. Press. Press. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So I will definitely put all of that information below. Okay. You know, 
in the show notes so people can reach out to you. But I just want to thank you so much for coming on our platform. I really appreciate you. And I look forward to, you know, us continuing this conversation on the infertility aspect of your story, because I believe it will be very powerful and it will really encourage a lot of women to look at things differently. So I really look forward to that. And it was so great having you on here. And I don't know if you have any last words for us. Yeah, my last words. Uh, thank you so much, first of all, for having me on here. Um, and to all the listeners, if you listen to this, share with someone, you know, mm-hmm. don't be stingy with the message. I feel like this message is just all too important for you to keep it to yourself. There may be someone around you who is, you know, hurting and they may just need to hear something like this to uplift them. Because I remember when I was going through my journey, I was listening to a lot of people with a positive mindset, you know, that could help me get out of that, you know, um, those dark days that I were in Mm -hmm. to, you know, just find some light. So feel free to not really feel free. I encourage you to share this message everyone around you so it can help them in one way or the other. Sure. Thank you so much for that. And I want to thank our listeners for, you know, going through the episode with us up to this moment. And I will catch you in the next episode. Thank you and bye. That's it for today. Thank you for listening to our show. If you want to participate in the show or find out more helpful resources, then visit www.livingafricanpodcast.com for more information or email us at hello at livingafricanpodcast.com. Also, don't forget to connect with us on all social media platforms at Living African Podcast. You can also connect with Anyo directly on Facebook or Instagram at Anyo Fombard. Thanks again for listening and let's not forget to be more understanding and nicer to one another.